0: I think for me, the biggest thing that it gave me was a confidence boost. It was more self-belief and self-trust that when put under pressure, albeit physical pressure, that toughness then went into other aspects of life. I could deal with other things, mental pressures, shall we say, financial, personal, um, psychological pressures that were coming from whatever angle they may be.
1: Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life.
2: We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, six o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast.
1: So today's guest is Sunny Sandu. Sonny started out as a mixed martial artist who competed in the UK but incurred a lot of injuries and had to retire from competing before he realised his full potential. He decided to train as a physiotherapist and chose to train unusually perhaps in Amsterdam. He's been working in Amsterdam for the past four to five years, sharpening his tools as a physio as well as having two of his own podcasts. Welcome along today, there, Sonny.
0: Ah, no, Thanks for having me, absolute pleasure to, to be here with you guys.
2: Hi Sunny, it's really good to meet you, and thanks for coming on. Can you tell us something about your career path and how you come to be a uh, a British physio practicing in the in the Netherlands?
0: Um, So, uh, as Naomi has already pointed out in the intro, uh, I had a fair few injuries myself competing in mixed martial arts, and and as a result of which saw more than a few physios up until um, the the last one that I was seeing in the UK who had a fair bit of international experience as well as a physiotherapist and was the only person who seemed to get down to the nitty-gritty of what it was that was the injury and get that sorted and get me back on a steady path going forward. So from that and seeing how much of a difference that it made, having someone that, A, listens to you for a start and and B can figure out what's going on and help you uh, realize and achieve the things that you want to achieve it was massive for me. And I saw it also for my teammates uh, who would get injured. It makes a big difference to have someone there that's reliable and understands what's going on. And from that, I wanted to, to do physiotherapy. However, A-level grades weren't the best. So I, I did a degree in physiology first, as a stepping stone, uh, looking at potentially doing the master's courses uh, in the UK, there's a few two year courses where you can study physio. And during my hunt for a place, um, I again reflected back on the best physio that I'd seen up to that point who had that international experience. So I thought I'd have a look and see if there was anything abroad and stumbled across the course that I ended up attending in Amsterdam that gives you the opportunity to not just study physiotherapy and do your placements, but do your placements in whatever setting you want, wherever in the world you want as well. So um, that was really appealing to me, the ability to go on placement to absorb the information and style and technique that someone uses in a different country was, um, yeah, seems phenomenal to me as part of your study.
2: Yeah. Have you learned to speak Dutch as well? Uh, yes,
0: in the dad, uh, indeed.
2: <laughs> oh well, uh, congratulations! Because it's always seemed to me to sound like a very challenging language. But to... It's
0: it's ridiculous to say that. <laughs> even uh, I think even uh, the Dutch folk will agree that it's a difficult language to to wrap your head around. And fortunately, in my first few years here, because English is so widely spoken, I was received with open arms, and it became a laugh and a joke with my dodgy Dutch accent and uh, yeah, a way of finding new words and making them up as I went along. So uh, it, it was interesting to say the least.
2: It's, uh, it's I think, what was it Steve, the um, football manager who was managing in uh, Holland and uh, developed a very peculiar English accent as a conquest, as a consequence of it. And uh, he was severely mocked.
0: That doesn't surprise me yeah 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 i i can see that i mean even with myself my vocabulary became a little bit stunted or has become a little bit stunted uh in my time here in the netherlands as there's just some things that conversationally that you'd use back home that if you use here people are completely lost and don't get what you're going on about and um even just some sort of phrases and things get get lost in translation so you you find yourself having to, uh, yeah, completely revamp your vocabulary. Uh,
1: but it sounds, sounds though you might you might be quite quite um, quite good at getting outside your comfort zone, though, Sunny, in taking the risk of relocating to a, a country where you didn't speak the language.
0: A little bit, but um, again, I think because they speak English here, it made it a bit more of a softer, easier transition. Um, but I think that's something that you, you kind of get alongside competing in mixed martial arts, being outside your comfort zone. And um, it, it's a big part of who I am I, or who I became as an adult um, with the mixed martial arts and helping me to explore that element of getting outside of myself, so to speak.
2: Thank you. So getting back on track about the physio business, <laughs> Because it's always seemed to me that that physios take on or get referred some of the most intractable problems. I mean, for myself, it was to do with the back, as I guess it might be with many people. Do you do you think that's true? And is that one of the things that attracted you to being a physio? In the sense that you're taking on really challenging problems that often
0: other areas of the medical field don't seem to be able to deal with. It's interesting that you say that as um, I think to an extent, physiotherapy is undervalued on the whole. I think that's changing now as we enter uh, more of a biopsychosocial model that's being adapted also within the NHS. But I I think that's definitely one of the things of it becomes a puzzle to figure out why and what has happened for an individual for, for them to get to where they are. Uh, so for example, back pain, we tend to see a lot of back pain is self-resolving. Um, and then when it's chronic low back pain, there is a massive um, element of the mindset that's been produced around the back So you have not just a potential physical problem, um, but you also have the, the problem of someone's reasoning about that. So you use different techniques, be that Socratic questioning or something else to, to try to dig deep and figure out why they've gotten to where they are and where your place is in helping them to, to solve that. So it's there is a little bit of Sherlock Holmes about it sometimes, some patients. Um, and yeah, I'd say that's definitely been an attractive part of keeping me in the field as well As no two days are the same.
2: Thanks. so That's really illuminating. Um, getting back to mixed martial arts though. I don't know much about <laughs> mixed martial arts. They don't, or they didn't when I was a kid do it at school. I don't know if they do much uh, of it at school these days compared to you know, football and rugby and things like that. How did you get interested
0: in it? So this is something that if my coach hears, he'll definitely give me a clip around the back of the head the next time I see him. Um, I actually got into it as a result of a movie. Uh, <laughs> I saw it in a movie and I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that. So at the time I was doing some cross country running, running for the County and whatnot in school. And I picked up another injury at that point in time. And uh, I was told by the physio that I was seeing, oh yeah, you're never going to be able to run again. Like, yeah, that that's it. Like competitive running, not going to be able to do it. And as a 15 year old, you're like, that's, a bit rubbish but uh it is what it is and i'd seen mixed martial arts being done in a movie and figured i'd take a stab at that you know i've got good cardio so let's see if that will help me being punched in the face at all um mixed martial arts itself is a combination of um different combat sports and different martial arts so be that boxing kickboxing taekwondo muay thai wrestling combat submission wrestling brazilian jiu-jitsu which has had a massive surge in the probably in the last decade i think the last statistics i saw probably around 2019 or so where that uh, mixed martial arts was the fastest growing sport in the world now it sounds fantastic in actuality that statistics probably a bit of a red herring in that how many other new sports are there so it's quite easy to be the the fastest growing new sport when there's not a lot of other new ones coming about and as you rightly mentioned it's something that's not done in school and when i picked it up it was definitely something that was a little bit frowned upon um almost as uh thuggish and brutish and the only people doing it are skinheads with a bunch of tattoos and and people who want to go and get in a fight down the pub on a friday night
2: so you're leading me on to think about something called cage fighting. That's and, exactly and, it. And is it the same same thing? Because if I ever see that on television, I switch over fairly quickly. It's not not the sort of thing I want to be associated <laughs> with even in my own front room.
0: Yes. Uh, some people refer to it as human cockfighting, but uh, I I like to think of it more of the, the gladiator of today, in essence, Um it looks, from the outside, to be very no-holds-barred. But um, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of discipline, a lot of technique, and a lot of awareness. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of boxing or have ever watched boxing at all. Well, what I do like about boxing
2: is the famous Mike Tyson comment, everyone's got a plan till they get punched, punched in the mouth.
0: mouth yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. um, So if I make a comparison to boxing, boxing to me is like checkers, where MMA is like chess, both very good games, but there is so much depth to mixed martial arts. And there's so much to explore every movement that you make with your body, just like moving a pawn or a knight or a rook on the board in a game of chess is going to be assessed, valued, and potentially countered by your opponent all in the space of a few seconds. So you get some seriously intelligent people, uh, coming in and about, um, into mixed martial arts. You've got people with doctorate degrees, people with master's degrees. So it does have a reputation of being a bit garish, a bit brutish, but if you're to ever pop down to a mixed martial arts gym, they tend to be quite friendly folk. Uh, and very inviting people and it's yeah what you see on on the telly is mostly for show especially with the loud mouth behavior whereas whenever you get them in the gym nine times out of ten they're going to be sound i was
2: going to say a bit like
0: saturday afternoon
2: wrestling used to be in the old yeah. days
0: yes yes exactly that and actually um The more outspoken behavior that's become part and parcel of mixed martial arts in the last few years has been as a result of um, some of those fighters taking their cues from the wrestling that used to be on TV, the old WWF, the WWE. Uh, And it's just because that's the kind of thing that sells, unfortunately. And at the end of the day, it's a buyer's market. And if you don't put butts in the seats, it's going to affect everyone's bottom line.
1: I was thinking it sounded like a sport that required quite a lot of mindfulness and being in the moment in order to not get triggered into just, um, well, I suppose your fight-flight system being um, triggered.
0: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. There are some... um, uh, mixed martial artists and fighters who are a complete blackout when they get into the cage. And then when they get back out, it's, it's okay. But for the most part, everything that you do, you have to be hyper aware. And it's one of the things my coach, uh, used to say to me before going out, um, was if you're nervous, that's good. Those nerves will keep you on your toes. They'll keep you alert. They'll keep you aware of what's going on. So embrace it. Don't try to fight it because fighting that, is only going to keep you in neutral when you're trying to get in gear.
1: I've worked with quite a few people who were bullied at school, Sunny, and oft, often people from Black or Asian communities who described being made by their fathers to take up a martial art in order to be better able to defend themselves. Do you think that's quite representative of who's attracted to martial arts?
0: A yes and a no. I, I think um, people from ethnic backgrounds may be attracted to it um as a result of bullying but i think that goes on on the whole uh, regardless of your background when bullying is involved one of the big ways that people see the way out of it is hey if you you learn martial arts be it boxing kickboxing whatever uh taekwondo you name it it's going to fill you one with a little bit more confidence and two at least if you find yourself in a tricky situation you'll be more capable to deal with it um And to some extent, I think that drives people to the gym. But once they get into it, that's no longer the driving reason for going. They're going because of a passion that develops. And there will be people that start for that reason. But people who go for the wrong reasons don't normally last. It's once you find a a good reason to be there. Because at the end of the day, it takes a lot out of you. It's a hard slog, whether you whatever... Discipline—we're talking about—it's—it's a hard slog, just like learning the guitar or the violin or the piano. It's a skill, and it's a perishable skill as well. So, if you're going to do it, you have to get stuck in and get involved.
1: Do you think people are aware of of how hard, how disciplined it is before they before they start, and other 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 reasons why people are attracted to the sport?
0: Uh, Absolutely not, (laughs) not not everybody. Uh, So. Uh, for a period of time, I was also teaching in the UK. Uh, if and when my coach wasn't able to get down, I'd take the classes. So we would also get some lads that were probably no younger than myself when I was about 18, 19, maybe get some sick. And you'd see the, the mid-teens, they would come with the idea that they're going to learn how to knock someone out in the space of 30 seconds or you know, deal with the big bad at their school. And they didn't appreciate the fact that you have to go through a lot um, of warm-up, of conditioning, of learning um, how to behave, essentially, because you can't just be a loudmouth in, in the room. And you can't just bully and push your way about. And even the bullies that would come would slowly be put back into their place, so to speak. Um something that's sometimes referred to as a gym enforcer sometimes you might get someone from a different discipline or from another gym that happens to turn up to your place and they think that they can take the mick a little bit and push everyone around and sometimes there has to be someone that puts them back in in their place and um, they're not going to leave them battered bloodied and bruised because thankfully in mixed martial arts there's a number of ways to subdue someone and um Yeah, it it is something that happens, and you tend to see again the people that have the wrong ideas don't tend to last. It's the people that are willing to put the time in, the graft in, treat the other people with respect, because you know if you don't, you're going to feel it, and you're going to hear about it, and then you're not going to enjoy coming anymore.
1: Does martial do martial arts contribute anything towards well being beyond helping develop a sense that you can protect yourself?
0: absolutely and i think this is something that i say to to the people that i teach to today as well like that it definitely gives you the ability to protect yourself however um that confidence in knowing that you can do that is pretty powerful on its own and the biggest thing that my coach ever put into me instilled into me was listen if someone's trying to come for your wallet or your phone just give them it lob it on the floor turn tail and run there's no point And you getting stabbed or worse for a mobile phone or a wallet, what's your life worth? And that's something that for me, I try to pass on to people as well. But don't come here with the idea that you're going to become Bruce Lee. There's only one Bruce Lee, there's only one Mike Tyson, only one Muhammad Ali. We can't all do that because if we could, then the world would be a lot more interesting. But at the same time, it, it just doesn't happen like that. I think for me, the biggest thing that it gave me was a confidence boost. It was more self-belief and self-trust that when put under pressure, albeit physical pressure, that toughness then went into other aspects of life. I could deal with other things, mental pressures, shall we say, financial, personal, um, psychological pressures that were coming from whatever angle they may be. The fact that I was able to deal with X, Y, Z, be it in the mat, on the mats or in the cage competing gave me the self-belief and the self-trust that, Hey, if I can make it through that, I can make it through most anything. I broke my cheekbone in three different places. And, uh, I was told at that point, Hey, I'm sorry, we don't think that you're going to be able to compete again. Um, or, you know, even training's a little bit questionable. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I've been through a fair bit, a fair bit, broken a rib, uh, you know, Hyperextended some bits and bobs. So maybe I can do this too. I think if I'd come across the same issue when I just started out or before I'd taken up the martial arts, I would have taken that face break as to that cheekbone break uh, is a, a, a nail in the coffin and would have just accepted it is what it is and plodded along and not bothered to try to, to fight for what I enjoyed or try to push through and get over the other side to get back on the mat and the the reason i say that is for a brief period of time before i moved over to the netherlands i did a stint in recruitment to try to save up some funds to to pay for my study and in one of the interviews the interviewer said yeah yeah you're really nice you're really friendly you tick all the boxes uh you've answered the questions all the right way but i worry whether or not you're going to be able to put up with uh you with any adversity that might come your way so I stood up and I asked him to just run his face down the side of my cheek and feel the dent from that break I said listen you're talking to someone that's done xyz and managed to come out the other side with something that potentially could have lifelong consequences kind of thing and the only thing I think that got me through that was the knowledge of where I'd been before and where I can go going forward with that in my back pocket knowing that I've done a fair bit more than the average person.
1: It's interesting you say that though, Sonia, because actually an awful lot of, of what you're telling us kind of, kind of you can't help but um, have the conclusion that actually you have quite a persistent um, core, about, you know, as a, as a personal quality, you have stamina and you stick with things. So, um, So you weren't able to carry on um, competing in the martial arts um, in the way that you wanted to, but you don't let that phase you or drag you down. You find another way to pivot around and make use of, use of that. And I think that's, you know, that's a really nice personal characteristic.
0: I, I think that that was reinforced by the mixed martial arts and by the people that were around me. I think that's also a big part of it, uh, the people that you're doing it with. It's like any sport, like right? with football, uh, or with rugby or with basketball what have you the people around you may it worthwhile um, even in your individual sports if you think of athletics when those people are training they're training with somebody although when you train when you compete in mixed martial arts it's just you and your opponent standing inside the cage actually outside you've got your corner men you've got people that have been with you For blood, sweat and tears, they've helped you lose weight. They've helped you get to the dance and they've reinforced the the person that you are. They've helped add every brick to your being at that point to reinforce you. And character defining traits have been reinforced by the mixed martial arts background. Absolutely.
1: Thanks. We already referred to the the sense of mindfulness that might be instilled through practicing martial arts that need to kind of be in the moment do you think that um practicing mixed martial arts might be an easier way for some people to learn how to be more mindful and create that sense of clarity yeah people struggle don't they to just be still and we did a recent podcast with yeah with with Ariel Garten of of news and I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of just allowing themselves to just be, don't they? And wondering whether for some people, maybe physical exercise is a way to attain that.
0: I think absolutely physical exercise is a fantastic way for people to get that. If you speak to distance runners, the, there's a fairly big cohort on distance runners that also don't use any music because that gives them that time to just be with themselves and their thoughts. Although they're, they're moving, they're still, you know, being mindful in that occasion. Um, and I think mixed martial arts absolutely has that. And I think the jujitsu aspect gives people a, a good grasp of that. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu is something that if you were to put up a, a uh, cork board with faces of people from Hollywood and, and you throw some darts at it, I guarantee it, at least with a lot of the fellas that are there, a, ho- a, a whole bunch of them are doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, because it lets them step out of that element and lets them do something completely different where they're not the celebrity, they're on the mat and they're able to just be in the moment. And it's the same thing with Joe Blogs down the road. When they're on the mats, they're not, dave who works in an office five days a week and sits behind the desk or sally doing the same thing whatever have you they're on the map with people who have a similar goal to them to better themselves and they have to focus on the task at hand because if you're not focusing on the task at hand of being present then someone's going to take you back and make you tap out and in order to fully grasp the concepts that you're having, sometimes it even helps just to close your eyes, to feel what you're doing and where you're going. Um, and that's a big thing that uh, I know a few of my teammates have spoken about before as well, just just pausing and not going hell for leather. You sit back, absorb the situation that you're in, and then just work out step-by-step step how you're going to move through it. So not only does it give you that mindfulness, at that point in time but you also start developing the ability to take that deep breath take that step back for moments outside of the mat outside of the gym as well and
1: what proportion? what proportion of female you refer to, Sa- to sally um so are there many women that that, that do mixed martial arts
0: i'd say uh, that's definitely a growing number. I wouldn't be able to give you any definites, but if you look at the biggest uh, show um, in in the world or the two biggest shows, they have a fairly big cohort of female fighters as well. And they're also top in the bill. Where you do have female boxers. Female boxing, I don't think... Um, is anywhere near as big as female mixed martial arts. A few years ago, you were hearing everything about Ronda Rousey. She's even been in a movie with uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. And that's come off of the back of her celebrity from the mixed martial arts world, from the MMA world, the MMA community. It's, It's definitely growing. And I think it's because mixed martial arts is slowly losing its identity of being a garish, brutish sport that more and more people are realizing oh actually the people on the mats are you know fairly nice folk for the most part you get psychos everywhere i think but uh, (laughs) yeah
1: thank you and moving on the, the world's getting increasingly interested in how the body and the mind interact together is that something you see within your practice as a physio
0: absolutely and i think it's also something that the the patient has to be willing to explore as well Um, you see it more so with chronic pain patients and patients post-operatively that the curiosity around the the link between the mind and body comes up so as i'd already mentioned with chronic pain patients the body creates learned behaviors around hey this movement is going to be painful i'm going to make it painful and it kind of uh, gives it a vicious feedback loop of amplifying that pain more so and with post patients it comes in the way of that patient then realizing that they no longer have control over their body why does this happen and that ability to explore it with people who are open to exploring the link between the mind and the body is can can be quite a beautiful opportunity to show them the benefits of exercise or the benefits of just taking some time in the morning to do even a stretch or two or something as it then also gives them the opportunity, like you'd already mentioned to practice a little bit of mindfulness because while you're doing the exercises, you kind of have to be absorbed in the moment that you're in and stepping back and absorbing where you are. Um, It's the last two years have definitely amplified it. I think because people haven't really had much of an escape of anywhere there hasn't even been the ability to go down the pub at the end of the day and if you're locked within your four walls any escape from that is a beautiful escape and that I think has also helped to propel a little bit more awareness and a little bit more questioning around the link between the mind and body and how people can just unwind and relax through exercise which When you say that out loud, you can unwind and relax through exercise might sound counterintuitive to some people because hold on a minute, you're going to go and um, burn yourself out uh, doing whatever activity it might be, you're going to be wrecked at the end of it. But actually, we know uh, from the physiological aspect, your body releases endorphins, and it releases all these happy hormones to, um, to your benefit only not to your detriment.
1: One of the things that got me interested in psychology in the first place was um, I remember my my dad studied a bit of psychology and I remember looking at a book where it showed you different bodily postures that were associated with certain personality styles and I remember thinking how how ludicrous but very recently I've trained as a, a sensory motor psychotherapist where you do look at how your body stores habitual ways of... So actually, if you're somebody who avoids conflict, how that might be reflected in certain patterns in your legs. So perhaps a digging in of of, um, being a bit stubborn and not being able to be upfront within the the conflict. Is that that something that you can identify with in terms of your practice, that if people are holding rigid beliefs about themselves in the world, that that might be reflected in certain certain patterns?
0: Yes. um, I can think of a very good example, actually, of um, someone sitting with a defensive closed off posture um, when they asked uh, a little bit about why and what they were feeling. And from that point, I kind of knew that this conversation wasn't going to go anywhere. Uh, I still pursued it and and pushed it a little bit as, as much as I could. But just by the way that the person held themselves, you could tell that it was going in, but the information wasn't being processed as to why or what was happening at that point in time. And they'd already made their mind up. And there are also times where you can see that slowly dissolve away as someone buys into you. And I think, in that particular instance that I just mentioned, it was very early in my career. And um, I think it's more on me than it is on the patient as to why he reacted that way, as I'm the person that's supposed to have the information and I can't just blurt it all out. You have to build up to that point, as you guys well know, You can't just shove things in people's faces and expect them to either believe or go with. There has to be an element of buy-in. There has to be an element of trust in that uh, therapeutic alliance between you and the patient. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how open someone is or closed off someone is in their body language. They're just not going to want to engage further in the conversation. But watching it dissolve away can be quite a, a... quite a beautiful thing quite a, an interesting uh time of the day sometimes because it, it's a little win for you and there's a little smile in the back of your head that says right okay we're, we're getting somewhere we're moving somewhere with this person
1: presumably if um if somebody's adopt say if somebody's adopting a defensive uh, posture and perhaps sitting in a very restricted way like that it presumably has an impact on their lungs their breathing which I imagine that you then seeing other structural consequences as a result of as a result of that.
0: I suppose I've never looked at it that deeply. Uh, considering uh, with that particular pa- uh, patient, I'm thinking of with the particular problem they had, that wouldn't have been uh, affecting their issue. So I don't think I would have taken that into account as much. though now that you say it for example, with um, long COVID patients that I have, mm-hmm. that could potentially be, um, that could definitely potentially be something that would be interesting to see is if someone does become more closed off while we're talking, then that's going to uh, absolutely uh, impact their ability to breathe and to communicate and it will absolutely impact their general feeling of well-being. Some of the patients are so short of breath they can get out about two words before they need to stop again. If they're then closing their bodies off further, I could definitely see it impacting. Though I've, I I'd be lying if I said I'd noticed that today consciously.
1: Sure, and it it might not be the case at all. But just I do find it quite fascinating that link between our you know our thoughts and um, and our bodies. how do you think physical activity can help people's mental health beyond feeling good about their fitness and appearance?
0: So this is something that, again, I think the last two years have exacerbated a little bit in just how valuable uh, the last two, three years, in just how valuable um, movement can be for people and just how valuable exercise can be. As some actually a lot of patients were very grateful that they had physio at the time because that meant that they could go to the gym and they could work out and again it comes back to that element of mindfulness it comes back to getting out of the four walls uh it gives you an escape and it gives you an ability to decompress and for some people uh, a chance to process the events of the day or the events of the week and what you see in a lot of people um especially those that used to do sport haven't done it for a few years and then get back into the gym because we're doing exercise or whatever uh, what have you for their treatment you see that with them there is a definite um change in their attitude and there's a definite change in their outlook and just That aside from physical changes, that change in the outlook can also have a massive impact on their perception of pain. As if you're happier, generally speaking, your perception or your chronic pain symptoms tend to be less. And the other thing that can happen with chronic pain symptoms is that can have an impact on mental health. And those mental health symptoms seem to decrease as well. There's a few psychosomatic patients that you see, and as you get them moving, and as you get them moving up the ladder in their activity levels, you definitely see improvements in that um, mental uh, mental headspace and that outlook. I think it's absolutely something that needs to be pushed more. Be it from the education aspect at school for how valuable exercise can be for your mental well being. Or at university or wherever it has to be pushed, whether it's in the messaging in the media for, hey, this can help you with this condition, that condition, X, Y, Z. The, the research is nonstop. The research behind it is constantly evolving and only evolving in one direction. Physical activity is good and it helps. I'm yet to see a paper that says that uh, you need to limit the amount of physical activity you do, otherwise you're going to suffer from this long-term condition. Even in conditions like uh, arthrosis, arthritis, arthritis, that have traditionally been recognized as things that happen with activity, have now been found to improve with physical activity. It, It baffles the mind while we don't have more of a push there.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice to see more of the social, you know, the projects around social prescribing of of exercise and gym membership, for instance, because that seems a much better way to prevent um, long term conditions, but also impact on people's physical and, and mental health. So it's a shame we don't see more of that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, even uh, something like Eat Out to Help Out, if they said, hey, gym membership to help out, it's not only going to um, uh, help out with any potential covid but it's also going to help to relieve the health service of diabetes patients it's going to help relieve the health service of copd patients of heart patients of even to an extent there's also a massive body of body of evidence for people with anxiety for people with depression of just getting out and doing some level of physical activity if even if we were to be able to help just 10% of the population with physical activity, it's free. They don't need to pop a pill for it. Uh I don't see what the downside is. It baffles me.
2: Hey, um Sunny, I, I want to apologize because I'm feeling terrible for being so scornful about Cage fighting on television earlier on, and it's <laughs> not a problem. Yeah, it's none of my business
0: whether people like
2: cage fighting or Mrs Brown's Boys. You know,
0: each to their <laughs> own. Absolutely, each to their own. There's a reason there's so many different activities, and there's not just one. Every nation has a different national sport. There's, uh, by by no means uh, am I offended uh, in the least. Everyone has their own particular flavour of tea or coffee or what have you. So that absolutely each to their own. Thank you. So you forgive me. Good. <laughs> so, so moving on,
2: because Naomi and I've worked a lot with men who've committed offend offenses. Uh, so we were wondering what really, whether there are any kind of sports or activities which can help people desist from, a- to avoid committing further offenses. Do you think there's anything in that?
0: I think so. Yeah. I, <laughs> it also provides a role model for people outside of that. It provides a role model for someone who has grown up in the same world that you have and hasn't had to resort to um, uh, committing an offence in order to get by. I think there's also an element of why have those people committed the offences in the first place? What is it about their social situation that has led them there? And then you need to ask the question of if having an outlet for their emotions through sport would have helped or if there was something more going on. Let's say it's someone who has um, learning difficulties and behavior difficulties who is then going to uh, go on further down the line to offend if their behaviour difficulties are due to a lack of attention at home or a home situation, if they're then outside of that situation for a little bit longer, a few times a week, that can just help to take the edge off a little bit and give them something more tangible and show them a different world. And that showing of a different world can be the thing that separates them from going on to uh, commit uh, commit an offence that they otherwise may not have done. And then if we look at the aspect of if it's someone whose social situation, regardless of their activities that they were or weren't able to do, would have resulted in that, well, then you're at a loss. Anyway, there are some people whose social situations, unfortunately, needs to result in that and i think that's a bigger societal issue where you have people who can't afford to eat regardless of what they do so they have to do something to put food on the table to feed them or their family it's i think absolutely it will help but it's always going to be situation dependent for those people who don't have a role model at home for those people who As soon as they get home, they're in a bit of a dodgy area and they've got no other option than to join the crowd of what's going on around them. If they had two hours a week elsewhere, be it at the local YMCA for all I care, to to do some boxing, that might just instill a little bit of discipline alongside giving them something else to do.
1: Also, um from some of the answers that you've given as well, though, it sounded as though there was also the potential to have create a sense of belonging. And I think one of the factors that contributes towards people offending is a sense of feeling alienated, you know, dislocated from society, and as if no one really cares about you. And so there's little investment in society. And it sounds like sports and joining some kind of sporting club could give a sense of belonging um, that might. F- give people a sense that they've got a stake in society and society's got a stake in them.
0: Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. As I think I mentioned it to you when we spoke on the phone as well, the mixed martial arts gave me a place of belonging inside that team where it didn't matter who I was at school or wherever else I was there. And I was part of that little family that was created. I mean, I've been out of the country now since 2015 on and off and I'm still in the WhatsApp group. So, you know, that, that sense of belonging is still strong for me there. And um, even when I go to to gyms here, I still refer to myself as a member of that team uh, when I train, uh, Team Crossface. Um, so it, I, I think it's the same thing that you see with young lads who play football or who watch football and have that identity of, hey, I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm a Liverpool fan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They have that sense of belonging with that tribe and. Um, we are tribalistic animals at the end of the day to some extent, right? And like you say, if we don't have a tribe that accepts us in, it's probably not the best way to put it, quote unquote, the, the civilized world, then um, we may look to other areas to find a tribe that will accept us. Mm-hmm. So if sport could be that tribe that accepts you, that might prevent you from going over to a tribe that that is um, less scruples, shall we say.
2: Yeah, you you used the phrase in your answer earlier, showing people another world. Um, I think that's brilliant, because if you can show people other possibilities, other opportunities, then depending on all kinds of social and economic and genetic uh, additional circumstances, but if they can see another world, then they've got the chance to pick it up and, and go with it. So... What you've been saying also reminds me of a bit of when I worked at uh, Millfields, a hospital in East London. And at the beginning, we had stacks of money because we were a new project. And uh, we bought this big thing for people to punch. Um, So it wasn't really a punch ball. It was a very tall, sort of solid pillar made of plastic and sponge, I guess. And, And then at some stage, somebody must have read a paper which said that if you encourage people to punch things it builds up their aggression rather than relieving it so we never actually introduced it to the patient group and for years and years it sort of sat in the stairwell looking like a sort of uh, neglected dalek um,
0: <laughs> and I, w- I wonder what you think about that do you think that's accurate so no i think to an extent there are going to be people that um may have these tendencies towards violence uh you mentioned also earlier in in what you just said there about genetics and social and yada yada there, there may be some um predispositions uh from their upbringing where they've witnessed violence and it becomes part of of their makeup their character and it's unfortunate for them that there might be people like that uh, however I think, from what I've seen, at least, and again, this comes down to uh, comes back to what I was saying about being surrounded by the right type of people. So, uh, in this instance, the tribe that I was surrounded with were a good bunch of folk who um, wanted the best for you, kind of thing. Again, my coach always, uh, always, always, always promoted backing away from a situation, regardless of the fact that, oh yeah, you could have him that doesn't matter there's no need to be violent there's absolutely no need to be violent because you've got more to lose potentially and um it it's difficult because you do see in some people that once they're given the opportunity to throw one punch then they're going to take multiple you give them an inch they take a mile but there are going to be other people that will take the opportunities that they get to do it in a constructive way and use that to help build them up as a person as well
1: i'm just wondering if i could jump in here because i'm I'm, i suppose a i'm quite curious about who you know what that was based on that that formulation but certainly in sensory motor psychotherapy one of the um focuses of the treatment is about identifying defensive actions that needed to happen that the person was prevented from doing so for instance if you were sexually abused as a child and you couldn't push away your attacker because obviously you'd be physically um Um, uh, over over um overpowered by them and actually by mindfully studying um tensions that are stored within the body and then allow what you do in the process of therapy is you allow that to be released so in a session that might involve for instance the person pushing against your hand because of that wish to push away and and what can happen is the person who's releasing that wish to push away by pushing against your hands or pushing against the pillow um, can end up kind of like shaking as the adrenaline is discharged that has been a consequence of this pent-up feeling of of Fear and anger of wanting to push away the attacker. And I can see that in some cases, actually being able to punch a huge, you know, something that's safe to carry out your aggression on actually might be a way of releasing um, all of that stuff that's built up where you've been physically overwhelmed and violated and not been able to protect yourself. And here's an opportunity to actually, if you're mindfully studying it and, and noticing what's happening, that actually maybe that, that could be really helpful.
2: Well, I was just going to move on and uh, ask you more about yourself because you're a podcaster in your own right, aren't you? You do two podcasts, in fact. So can you tell us a bit about uh, the Physiotherapy podcast?
0: Yes. Uh, so that podcast is the the Physiotreutist podcast, and um, it's a podcast that goes uh, around the world of physiotherapy, and looking at different rehab strategies looking at different issues that you might face in clinic and it's um, with sort of experts in the field researchers uh, in order to gauge for them what is best practice uh, and how we can implement that so it's for both budding clinicians uh, physiotherapists and also people who have been in the field for many years to Uh, essentially hear somebody else's take on a particular condition or a particular approach to physiotherapy and um, I think one of the main things for that is speaking to people who are active in the field also in research to make sure that the things that are being espoused uh, uh, yeah the evidence-based practice model within that model um, for, for people to then learn more and develop more It's from a company that has started uh, as an online sort of YouTube uh, channel uh, for manual handling techniques and has slowly grown to an online education platform. And the podcast is just another branch of that ability to provide education to young physiotherapists and students.
1: And you've also started a second one more recently, haven't you, called Open Forum. What, What are you trying to do with this podcast?
0: yeah um the open forum podcast is one that may come off a little bit controversial but the idea behind that is to provide a platform to hold conversations about things that otherwise um might not be appropriate dinner table talk shall we speak because of the uh, media at present Uh, isn't allowing you to do so social media might be throwing you off if you tackle these subjects these taboo things or even if they are uh, acknowledging it there's no credence given to the alternative viewpoint so it's a podcast where i'm speaking to people who again borrowing from that concept of physio tutors with the evidence base uh speaking to people who are experts in the field or who have been in the field uh, at large and talking to them about their experiences of what they've seen what the research around uh, that is and what ways we could have approached it if we're looking at a taboo subject such as um the covid situation where um I was speaking to a CCU nurse from Canada, for example, who mentioned that due to the mandates, the staff loss uh, became so drastic that they were then pulling in members from the kitchen staff to help out on the ward floors uh, in order to do the nursing role. Um, then there comes the ethical question of one, is that ethically right in the first place uh, to um have kitchen staff carrying out the nurse's duties. And two, from the medical perspective, how can that be justified in any sane world? Or for example, speaking to a whistleblower from the Pfizer clinical trials about the things that she saw um, during the trials. And and it's not just about COVID. Uh, For example, I spoke to a financial journalist from the Netherlands And uh, we spoke about the current economic crisis and how we find ourselves here and how it seems to be written in all the EU documentation of a plan to roll out digital currency, although that's only come to the fore in the last year or two, a year and a half. Um, And yet this has been uh, in the books on the plans for the last at least half a decade as you watch multiple countries as their uh, national banks are going into negative uh, interest rates. And that's very dangerous for us as members of this uh, populace. So for example, even the Swiss national bank has a negative interest rate. And you think to yourself, hold on a minute, isn't Switzerland a really rich, well-off country? Well, actually, they're having some serious problems. And this is something that's not being acknowledged by the mainstream news outlets. And it's something that's not really spoken about a lot um across social media so i i wanted to provide a platform for the things that i figured were both interesting and not being given a fair shake even something such as climate change has a lot of controversy around it because uh i think 50 or so years ago it was called global freezing then a decade or so ago it was called global warming and now they can't decide so it's just go with climate change and blame everything on the fossil fuels and there's a lot more to the story the climate is definitely changing but what are the finer details and what can we do uh, about that and it's not a simple question it's not a question i can answer or a physicist can answer or someone working in technology on um, batteries for electric cars can answer because it's so nuanced and we're losing the nuance for A world that's being dictated by clickbait media and 60 second social tags and again we need to practice some mindfulness of what's going on around us and and um see a little bit more of what's happening and why it's happening and everything that we speak about on the podcast i provide links for as well because that was one of the things i was finding myself short of when I was having conversations with people who were somewhat aware of things that were going on, when they'd ask for proof or evidence, I'd have none of it to hand. So I figured if I could provide a platform where I'm talking about the controversial subjects from another viewpoint, I want to be able to give people the evidence for them to be able to take into conversation further down the line so that they don't look like a wally.
1: But again, it sounds as though you're not shying away from things that are difficult, but actually... Putting yourself intentionally in the in the in the in the way of um, having to face things that are going to be quite a tough challenge, I imagine.
0: It's something that I've also done in the workplace as well, of being the person that's happy to put my neck on the line, so to speak, in order to talk to management and in order to speak to the higher ups or other colleagues about things that are otherwise difficult, um, and. I think it's a good way to put it not shying away from the difficult talks or the difficult subjects, but you do also need the audience that's willing to at least entertain the idea. I forget which philosopher it was and the quote entirely. So I'm heavily paraphrasing here, but it um, takes a smart man to uh, absorb and take on uh, an opposite opinion or another idea but it takes a really intelligent man to be able to take that on, but not make that a part of their own belief system or what have you. I'm totally butchering that, but you do need to, regardless of whether or not you agree with an opinion, be able to at least take it on and analyze it and make your own decision from all the information available and not just one side of the party line, which unfortunately is a lot of what we saw the last two years and is slowly unraveling and again no one says boo at the fact that things are slowly coming undone
1: thank you Sonny. so finally we we always ask people about how they look after themselves and keep themselves nourished and and healthy i imagine exercise plays a large role for you but i wondered if there are any other strategies you use to keep yourself feeling psychologically healthy
0: um i'd I, definitely say exercise plays a massive massive part of it but at the same time i am also someone who uh, i mentioned that i'm still part of that whatsapp group with the guys from back home from from uh, team crossface i'm also someone that really values um good friends so i have whatsapp chats with everyone back home um and Uh, a couple group chats and I think that's another way that I've been able to keep myself sane of just keeping that contact with the people that I grew up with and having these open conversations and finding myself in a position where there's no um, quote-unquote male testosterone that's preventing me from being able to open up to my friends or preventing them from being able to open up to me And I think the ability to be able to share with people has helped for sure. And uh, I'd be remiss if I don't mention the fact that uh, my wife has been brilliant the last few years putting up with me and uh, uh, also providing a a good outlet and and soundboard to both bounce ideas off of and also point out some of the errors in my thinking in a constructive way. And uh, again, another thing that helps to keep me uh sort of with two feet on the ground is um having conversations be they uncomfortable conversations or not ones that i want to hear or don't want to hear and it's usually the conversations that you don't want to hear that are the ones that allow you to grow
1: absolutely that's brilliant thank you very much Sunny.
0: Uh, no thank you very much for having me i really really appreciate your time guys thank you
1: that was really
2: great. And uh, I think uh, we'll all agree with you that these days it's extremely difficult to have a balanced and thoughtful conversation with people about the really important issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm hoping that the podcast will uh, in some ways address that. And I do also want to come at it from from both sides of the argument. I always say there's three sides to every situation your side my side and the truth and you can't get down to that truth bit until you hear both sides of it or until you have that objective viewpoint and like you say we need to have more balanced arguments